it's, it's a fun time of year for us to, to really focus in on why we're doing this Christmas thing, right? Why, why are we celebrating? Why are we doing the shopping? Why are we doing all the things that we're doing? Um, we focus in on the real reason, and it is good, especially as hectic as it has become, uh, to focus back in on Jesus. Uh, and so we, we celebrate that together. Uh, today we are going to wrap up our series uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, we have uh, spent quite some time, uh, most of the fall, uh, going through Acts. And so we're going to wrap up today in Acts chapter 28, if you want to go ahead and um, start turning there. Um, Paul has been on this incredible journey, right? So he has been going from, from city to city, uh, region to region, planting churches, encouraging the churches. And then he is arrested and falsely accused, and he appeals to Caesar. Uh, he knows that if he goes back to Jerusalem for a trial, that he will surely be executed. And so he, he appeals to Caesar, and that means he is now headed to Rome. And he is on this long journey to get to Rome, and it is not a smooth journey in the least. He's got challenges along the way, difficulties along the way. And in chapter 27, they experience a shipwreck. And so all the prisoners are, are forced to, to swim to shore to survive. And the, the guard wants to execute all of the prisoners so they don't escape, right? There's kind of an interesting uh, form of logic there. We'll just kill them so they don't escape. Uh, but they end up surviving and we get to our story here in chapter 28. Let's begin in verse 1. Once, safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. So they have, been, they have landed on this island. They discovered that the name of this island is Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to, to one another, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live." And so we've got the scene where all these prisoners are, are collected here, huddled up on this beach. They build a fire to stay warm. And now, as if it wasn't bad enough to be shipwrecked, this viper jumps out and attaches itself to Paul's hand. And this is surely a sign that the gods have judged Paul. That surely he is a murderer. Because otherwise, this viper would not have attacked him. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And so now their theology has flipped, right? So he is being punished by this viper, by the goddess of justice, 
This viper has, has lashed out and has attached itself to Paul, but now Paul has survived this attack. And so obviously Paul must be a god himself to survive such a thing. There was an estate nearby that b- belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. These are prisoners who have been shipwrecked. They have been invited in for hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick of the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Okay, so we see this turn of events here where we've gone from shipwrecked to being stranded onto an island to being bit by a viper and now experiencing the hospitality in this large estate, healing the sick of the islands. And so we've seen this pattern throughout Acts where, where we see setbacks, we see hardships, we see disappointments, all leading to greater opportunity for ministry. That, that in the midst of something that is incredibly bad, good happens. That God continues to make these insurmountable situations into favorable ones for his purposes. That, that this entire island of sick are cured and that all is needed and all that is needed for the next leg of their trip is now provided and so god continues to move through these situations continues to provide for paul's needs and so it's easy for us to focus in on the physical things things like a shipwreck things like a snake bite the physical struggles that we go through We go through illnesses, we go through difficulties, we go through hardships, and it's easy for us to get discouraged in the midst of those. But in in times of great struggle, in times of difficulty, having a faith in God reveals who we trust. Do we trust the tangible things that we understand? Do Do we trust the things that we can see and touch? Or do we trust in a God that shows us that he is in control of what is happening? Do we trust in a God who, even in danger, even in struggle, is continuing to work, continuing to provide? God God has promised Paul that he will get to Rome. And so as Paul is stranded on this island with a snake hanging off of his hands, does he trust in God's promise that he will get to Rome. A shipwreck will not stop God's plan. A snakebite will not stop God's plan. And so God has set Paul out on this journey, and he's going to bring him through it. What he started in Paul, he will continue. It's a a promise that is made to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.6. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has begun a good work in you. 
He has begun a good work in each and every one of us. And he will see that to completion, even when it doesn't look like our circumstances are allowing for it. Continuing on in verse 11. After three months, three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. They're stranded on this island for three months. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put, it, we, we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and the following day, we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier guard to guard him. And so the story continues. They're stuck on this island for three months. They move on and they finally make it to Rome. It has not been an easy journey. There have been many stops along the way, hardships along the way, and not the best of conditions as prisoners. And so they finally make it to Rome and it's been this story that is full of accounts of, of power, of, of the miraculous deliverance, of divine intervention. We see God's hand throughout the story and throughout the ministry of Paul. And now we see one of the greatest powers of the Christian faith demonstrated here. It is the power of the brothers and sisters of the church. That when they finally arrive, it's the brothers and sisters of the church that come and encourage Paul, give him strength, give him courage. That in, in struggles with injustice and being falsely accused, in cruelty, in, in life's difficulties, one of the church's greatest gifts to us is the church. And, and it's not the church building. It's not the church structure. It's the people of God, the community of faith. That in the midst of all the things that Paul is going through, it's not a miracle that's given to them. It is the church that's given to them. It's the brothers and sisters coming to encourage and strengthen Paul. What a powerful gift to receive. Have you ever thought of your faith community, of this faith community, your church, as being a miraculous gift of God? That one another, together, this is what Jesus designed. This is what he preached. This is what he called for, living in community together. Not just showing up on Sunday morning for a church service, but actually being brothers and sisters together. Jesus came preaching not just a philosophy of life, not just a religion, not just a, a certain order of things. He came 
preaching a new way of living, something entirely different. He formed a new people, a new community. Jesus formed a distinct people, not segregated just on on a Sunday morning for a gathering, but a people living life differently, living life together. And so the question of Acts throughout has not been the question of do you have an intellectual belief of who Jesus is. It's not about an intellectual understanding. The more important question throughout Acts is will you join? Will you join this Jesus movement? Will you join the way? Will you be a part of this distinct community, this new way of living, this new family, this new people? Will you join Not just on the margins, not just looking in occasionally, not just occasionally checking the box, but will you join the movement of God? Paul talks about in Philippians 3 2 that we are we are having that we have our citizenship in heaven. That in many ways we are colonists in a strange land. We're in a place, in a kingdom that is not our own. We are citizens of heaven, but we're, we're stuck living here in America. And it's not all that great. And it will not be great again. Because we are citizens of a different place. And we are, are living here among this American place as ambassadors to something different, that that we're living in this colony. A colony is is a beachhead. It's an island in, in the midst of another kingdom, in the midst of another place. And individuals in a colony can never survive isolated and alone. They have to be together. That if colonists are going to survive in a foreign culture, they have to do it together. They need each other. And so they work and they live together. They come out and meet one another and they give each other courage to be in this place, to be in this land. And the colony is not fully established yet. It's not out of danger. It lives in the midst of a hostile environment. It lives in a place that bows to other gods. And so the power of the church, the power of the community of faith is to create this countercultural place. And this is going to become more and more significant for us in this time that we're in. That as believers, as members of the way, as as members of the Jesus movement, we have to to stand together, to encourage one another, to give one another courage to live the lives that Jesus has called us into. And so Paul here, after all that he has gone through, he is encouraged most by his brothers and sisters. He's he's filled with courage because he's not alone. He doesn't have to do it by himself. He's not a lone ranger trying to figure out what it means to live this life of discipleship. He has a family to do it with, and we do not travel alone. And for this, Paul thanks God. There is this incredible thanksgiving. Thank God for the community that he has given you. Thank God for the community he's given you. 
in all that's been happening, God deserves the thanks and the praise. Continuing on in verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I, I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And so the first place Paul goes in Rome is the first place he always goes to share the gospel to the Jews. And he goes to the Jewish leaders, and at this point, he has been a prisoner for years because of this false accusation and because of this arrest. And he's been enduring travel and prison and shipwrecks and so much more, all because he's been falsely accused. And so the first thing he does is go to the leadership that has accused him. And of all things, they haven't heard about him. They haven't heard any of the problems that he's been stirring up. They haven't heard of any of the accusations. That there, There's no issue here. And so he goes to the Jewish leaders, and they've basically acquitted him of the charges against him. They said, we, we don't have any reports. We don't have any accusations. We don't have any charges against you. And so God continues to move in this situation where Paul is a prisoner with nobody to charge him, nobody to accuse him. And so he lays out his case. He lays out what has happened. He lays out the message of Jesus. And when the message of Jesus is preached, there has to be a response. And we continue. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in 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 even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statements. He says this, The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors When he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. 
Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's where the book of Acts ends. We've seen this pattern throughout Acts. When, when presented with the truth, some believe, but others do not. And there's a mystery to that. Why would some believe and others do not? Unbelief is always a mystery to those who do believe. Why, why do some look at Christ and see him as the light of the world and others see him as nothing? But Paul doesn't get discouraged by those who don't believe. He continues to be a witness. Nothing will silence Paul. He will continue to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about Jesus to those who will listen. And these are the final words of Acts. It's a bit of a cliffhanger. For two years, Paul's here. But then what? What happens beyond this? All we know is that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's the end of our story. We're left wanting more. Things are not concluded. What about the trial? Does he ever go to Caesar? What happens to Paul? What happens to the church? What happens to those that are, are, are working with Paul? There's this mystery to it. But in many ways, this one line can be the summary of the entire book of Acts. The entire book. The, the spirit that descended at Pentecost gave the church its tongue to tell the mighty works of God. And so we see through Acts the church proclaiming his mighty acts proclaiming his mighty deeds despite every hindrance, despite every obstacle, despite every setback. They boldly proclaim the mighty work of God to all who will listen. And so the, the book of Acts gives us this second volume, this, this continuation of the story of Jesus, that all that Jesus began to do and teach is continued on into Acts, and then Acts is left hanging. The words and, uh, and deeds of Jesus continue in the work and proclamation of his disciples. They continue that through Acts. And so the crucifixion cannot stop it. The stoning of Stephen cannot stop it. Caesar cannot stop it. Even the death of Paul in Rome cannot stop it. And Acts, as a continuation of Luke, gives us our charge of what we're to be doing. Acts ends rather abruptly, it ends open-ended because the church is the continuation of Paul's mission. The community of believers, the way. We continue what Paul left hanging here at Acts. That, that we are to proclaim the kingdom of God and we are to teach about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what we are called to do. 
as disciples of Jesus. And so you and I live in the continuation of the story of Acts. It's the the story of the Spirit that is living in people like you and me. The Spirit alive in us, leading us. And as Spirit-filled disciples, there is work for us to do. That we don't simply gaze into heaven as the disciples did back in chapter 1, where they're wondering, where's Jesus? What do we do now? We move into greater obedience. We get going. There's work to be done. The mission of the church is here and now. We can't cower away from confrontation. We we can't be fearful of some end times thing. We can't be fearful of the political party that is in power. We are in a different kingdom with a different mission. And our hope lies in the hands of a loving and powerful God. And so since Pentecost, nothing has been able to silence the tongues of God's faithful people. And nothing ever will silence the tongues of God's faithful people. The story continues in us. We are the church. And so the mandates of Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1 is still in force that we continue to faithfully proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so it's been nearly 2,000 years since Luke wrote Acts. And Acts reminds us that, that despite rejection, despite persecution, despite setbacks and disappointments, and even our own apathy at times, and our own cowardice, despite all of that, the gospel proclamation continues to the very end of the earth. By God's grace, it is unhindered. And so will we speak boldly without hindrance? The church of Jesus. Let's be standing together. We want to open this up for a time of prayer, a time to encourage one another, to give one another courage. Sometimes just simply praying for another person, praying with another person is is something that will get them through the rest of this week. And so many of us are facing discouragement. And and one of the things about the holidays, about Christmas time and, and, and this time of year is it can amplify the emotions that we're feeling. If things are very bright and great, then the lights of Christmas bring great joy. But if there is hurt and discouragement, loss or grief, this time of year amplifies that even more. And so we stand with one another and we encourage one another and we strengthen one another. I want to encourage you to seek out prayer from from one of our shepherds or one of our life group leaders or, or one of our prayer team leaders. Um, seek one another out, pray with one another, encourage one another in this time as the the praise team sings uh, this song for us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this message for us. God, would you give us boldness? Will you give us courage? God, in the midst of of whatever we are going through, will 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 you help us to fix our eyes on you and trust in you in all things? We thank you for the gift of your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.